So the book we're doing today is actually special for two reasons. It is, I think it's like the first book that's like almost a spinoff episode from a previous episode we've done that isn't like a direct sequel of the book, right? Like Homo Deus Mm. or I think we did two episodes for Infinite Jest. But I think it's also the least popular book we've ever done, at least according to like Amazon reviews, if we want to base it off of that. It's like our most obscure, obscure book that we've probably ever covered. How many reviews was there? 24. 17. 17. Wow. 24. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's really crazy. If you search into the Amazon on Am- on Amazon, it doesn't show up. You have to type the full name, the full title. Oh, wow. Okay, and now there's 27 reviews. And I think, how did we come across this? Adil, you saw this in a bookstore or something? Like you sent us a picture and you were like, I didn't buy it. And then I was like, I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is it. Actually, I was in Barnes and Noble in San Jose. And was on the shelf, I think. I don't remember. It's been a couple months. It's cool that it was in a bookstore, though. Like it deserves a lot more than twenty-seven reviews. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. It's crazy how few sales some books get. You know, some great books. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Well, actually, okay. So I'm I'm looking at it on Amazon now, and it's currently the number ten top seller in brazilian history and the number one top seller in brazilian history is the river of doubt <laughs> wow huh. that's because it made you think i i, I will <laughs> die on that <laughs> <laughs> if this one jumps to number one then it's definitely because it made you think <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean we might get at least 27 purchases so we could, there's potential to double the number of reviews if all of those people leave a nice review for it. Yeah. Also, the thing that's crazy is I think part of it, and that maybe this is because it's like American Amazon. Like maybe if we were on the Brazilian version of Amazon, maybe it's uh, of, oh, yeah. maybe it's different. I don't I don't know. It's like he seems actually fairly well known in Brazil. There's a state named after him, but in the U.S., I had never heard of him until River of Doubt. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that was actually a pretty interesting part of the book that the author talks about like it was either in the intro or the first couple chapters about how there was basically like all of this kind of like discrimination towards mm-hmm. Rondon from like it seemed like more Europe than America like it, it definitely some from America too but like that was the era of the great explorers and they were basically all European white men and so they pretty much refused to acknowledge this what, what was the term that they used at first I thought it was an like an offensive term, but then the author kept using it. Anyway, I mean, because he was basically indigenous Brazilian or half indigenous Brazilian. Caboclo, a complex word with both racial and class connotations. There we go. Yeah, so nobody wanted to acknowledge that he was this like great explorer, despite him possibly surveying more land than anyone else in the world or something crazy. Also, like totally untouched, difficult land to navigate through. And like, I think to uh, Adil, the point on class is also a pretty interesting one because it's he was that was the age of like the gentleman explorer almost right like people who came from mm. like backgrounds where they didn't have to work mm-hmm. like a regular job like they could go be an explorer and he clearly did not fit that mold like he was dirt poor like dirt poor like basically on his own from like childhood. Um, and at that boarding school and like, I mean, he's just the exact opposite of a gentleman explorer and that, you know, obviously like accomplished some great things. So I feel like part of it is he wasn't in the club 
of, of all these, because Brazil does have very wealthy people who, you know, have owned plantations and like came from money. And if he, I have a feeling it, if he was from like that class, maybe they would have accepted him like a little bit differently. Like he'd be like our Brazilian counterpart, but he never got the respect of like being a counterpart. He was just always that weird guy doing the exploring stuff, which we don't really give him much credit for. <clears throat> well, uh, that being outside of Brazil. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they probably lumped him in with the indigenous people who were just <clears throat> living in those areas, right? Yeah. Where it was like, oh, well, it's not impressive because, like, those are his people in his areas, right? So he's just, like, hanging out, right? You, you can imagine that class of people dismissing it that yeah. way. Also, there's a parallel, a book that I read in uh, after we finished this, like, after I finished this one, I kind of went down a little bit of an Amazon, Amazon rainforest rabbit hole and... There was a Rogan episode with this guy, Paul Rosalie. This is a very interesting episode. And, and then I read his book called Mother of God. And he's basically this guy from New York, like suburbs in New York. I wonder if he's near where, <laughs> where you, you have your house. But <laughs> he's somewhere in the like, in like, uh, like upstate from New York City. And just like went down a rabbit hole himself. Anyway, ended up like becoming this like more modern day explorer in the Amazon and some of the things that he describes seeing and he has pictures in the book, which is a really cool thing. And he's he's won uh, awards for like documentaries that he's he's created. Some of the things he saw, I'm just like, the Amazon is a whole nother beast. And you get like extra credit for being the explorer of like the Amazon. So for example, there were like these like in these uh, snakes, these like anacondas that would be like, I think like as they, he was describing them in the book as as thick as an oil barrel. And then there were literally pictures of these snakes. And it's like you were trekking in the Amazon. Like Rondon was doing this, no radio, no sat phone. Like at least when Paul Rosalie was there, like he had like, sure, you're not going to get medical attention right away. But like you have some paths. Like Rondon was literally laying the groundwork for the telegraph in the Amazon. You were so isolated. Yeah. Imagine being the first person, not a native, who's unaccustomed to the Amazon to see that snake, like totally unexpected. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a weird amount of like not discussing the wildlife in this book. I I thought so too. Yeah. River of Doubt. I wonder why that is. Maybe the wildlife would all just scurry with this large group. Well, they did mention in this, I don't know if that was in this book or in River of Doubt, how it felt weirdly empty. Yeah, and the reason I remember so, that River of Doubt for sure. So Paul Rosalie yeah. talks about this because he said the natives talk about this as well. So Paul Rosalie basically, like, just to summarize, like, what his whole involvement in the situation is, is like he, he has an organization that basically buys land in the Amazon for preservation purposes, and then does like tours and stuff to like fund it for for people. But it is because um, basically a lot of it's getting lost to like agriculture and loggers and and stuff like that. So he has like a conservation organization. He was saying there's parts where the natives basically say like no humans have ever gone or very, very few humans have ever gone. And they say the animals behave very differently in those areas versus the rest of the Amazon. So most of the Amazon feels empty, even though there are tons, there's tons of wildlife, but they basically know to avoid humans. Yeah. And then these more like call it like truly remote, remote parts. And they're there. Humans don't go there, not because it's like super inaccessible, but the natives view those areas as like holy or spiritual and so they just mm-hmm. they or, or unlucky is the other reason why they don't go there so they just don't go there and those animals are not accustomed to humans 
So he was like, you will have situations where if you're like in one of those areas and you're in a tent, like you will have a Jaguar, like come outside of your tent and just like, because it's sniffing you. It's like, it's like, what is this weird thing that's in the, yeah in this for like, whereas in the rest of the Amazon, apparently they just know not to like, if they smell a human, they're just like, let's stay away from that thing. Cause it's bad news. That makes sense. I mean, that's how animals are like in the Galapagos and Antarctica and places like that too. It was just, there was never any evolved fear of humans. Yeah. I wonder how many other places there are like that. But I wonder if where Rondon was going, it was like, it was paths that I guess natives at least had gone before. So the animals maybe knew, let's just like avoid these people. Yeah. It seems like they were pretty much always near tribes people. Yeah. I thought like there were so many things about this book. Like, I mean, one one place that we could even start is like Rondon seemed like a very modern character for the era that he <laughs> lived in, right? Like one uh, thing I, that, I want I want to hear your reason for this, but uh, then I'll then I'll share why I'm. Laughing. Oh, I mean, Go just ahead. like just like his like there were two things that I thought stood out. Like his hyper rationalism. It was almost like the mm. effective altruism type people. Not like yeah. not truly, but like that wasn't his philosophy. But like the the like focus on rationalism as being like the driving force of human evolution, essentially. And then the other part that was super interesting was like just the tolerance of natives and like his respect for them. And it it just didn't seem like in that era of any, in any country that that was really done. It was like those people would be viewed as almost subhuman. And he, his philosophy was almost to the other extreme where he was like, even if you're getting attacked by a native, you do not attack back. Like, die if you must, but kill never. Yeah. 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 Which is, like... It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Like, it's really, yeah. Well, and it's probably the reason he succeeded, too. I mean, just the number of... But, like, some of those stories later on about, like, the, the tribes people not just tolerating him, but, like, embracing him. And it was the one group who, like, kind of thought he was a god of some sort, right? Just hmm. because he was so... Well, one, because he was so peaceful, and two, because of, like, the stuff he was doing with the telegraph line. We, we can find it. That was a little bit later on in the book. But, like, it's, it's hard to imagine this project succeeding if he hadn't had that attitude. Because right? there's no way they could actually defend this stuff. Like, they needed buy-in from basically everybody close to anything they were building for the project. Yeah, the philosophy that I was talking about earlier, it was positivism is like the name yeah. of it, which I had never heard of until yeah. we encountered Rondon. But it seems like it was pretty instrumental in the formation of Brazil, even as a country. And I mean, one just quote that I have from the book, which is kind of eye opening is like, in addition, positivist teaching discouraged innovative scientific inquiry for the positivist science was a goal already achieved and the world had already been completely understood thus there could no longer be space for questioning doubt or experiments all that remained was the need to move into action to convince the unbelievers within such a framework where would one place the idea of a laboratory or research center or a university interested in broadening the frontiers of knowledge it's a very odd premise because they yeah. start with rejecting religion and metaphysics and then also rejecting scientific progress. Like it's basically yeah, a religion. Yeah, so what's left? Like it is basically it is a, religion. a religion. Yeah. Because yeah. he would go to, they had like the churches and they would have funeral rites and weekly services. Yep. Oh. And he had to pledge his like allegiance to the, the, yeah. the positivists yep. as well. Well, it was eventually yeah. a positivist coup. Right. Like, who overthrew the government, right? So, 
it is like a religion and a political philosophy, kind of like all of this wrapped up in one. Yeah, the coup, uh, the 1889 overthrow of the monarchy was a positivist coup, right? Yeah. So that's the founding of the Republic. It's like in the Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but I think like one thing that I also didn't realize reading River of Doubt, even though it definitely said this, it just never clicked, was that he was actually a soldier. I like didn't put together that he was like in the military, like he was actually in the military, but he was absolutely in the military like his entire life. But he was just, I guess, Brazil wasn't really involved in any major wars besides a couple that looked like border skirmishes they were having with some neighbors. But like it, it was never like a global army in the way that, you know, we would think like of, of like the U.S. military, for example. So they spent a lot of their own, like a lot of their own uncharted territory was what the military seemed to focus on. Because there is, probably was so yeah. much of their official land that they literally had never set foot in. I thought it was quite clever the way Rondon tied advancement for the native tribes to Brazil's infrastructure goals by basically mm-hmm. saying, look, we'll build telegraph lines and then we'll build stations every few miles. And then the tribes who live in that area will man the stations. Because then you basically, once you tie those two together, you don't need to frame the cause of the natives, the native peoples as a, uh, either a charitable thing or something that's otherwise misaligned or could be framed as misaligned with the central government's ambitions. Yeah. And then later when the telegraph line became less necessary, then the government started to increasingly turn their back on the native tribes as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the other thing that you just made click for me, Adil was like, he was probably one of the few people that viewed the natives as Brazilian. Yeah. Yeah, like the Brazil government didn't seem to view them as part of Brazilian people, but he probably like and probably the natives themselves didn't view themselves as Brazilian people. But he was like, hey, these are all Brazilian people, whether they are natives or, you know, living in a city on the coast. Well, yeah, it was interesting that he tried to broker pieces between them that like like between tribes that had never been peaceful. Like especially as the support from the government wound down for the telegraph line and he's like trying to keep the project alive and he's like creating these almost like mini towns, right? Because the government's trying to like push all the natives out or uh, like, you know, not be as accommodating to them. And he's like actually trying to get them to resolve some of their differences so they can continue to like live in these areas. It's, it's pretty interesting I've never heard of a similar story for America. No, I was going to say our philosophy with our native population was very different. I would say it was almost like we'll give them territory to like continue their own, arguably continue their own way of life or move them into certain territories. But there was never, it seems like a big effort to almost involve them in this way that Rondon is doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to imagine like, it might have like just been him who got totally all this going. And <laughs> yeah, it kind of yeah. seems like it was, which is <laughs> pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, did you see there was a picture in the book of Rondon and Teddy Roosevelt standing side by oh, side? Such a funny yeah. photo. Because Rondon's what, 5'3? Yeah, he's, he's so small. He's tiny. <laughs> he's so small. But he's like in shape, and Teddy Roosevelt yeah, is super like. Fit. This giant bear, like, <laughs> looking over him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was one other interesting thing on the, like, 
the sort of like the racism and the explorer class in the day, like how hard Teddy Roosevelt went to bat for him. Yeah. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought those stories were really nice where it's like Roosevelt's back in the U S and he's like, it, it seems like he's yelling at these explorers in Europe, basically saying that they need to give him more credit and respect him. Yeah. He's trying to get these movies made about Rondon in the States. Like he's really trying to support him. And it's, and I don't remember if this was in Ripper of Doubt, but it was definitely here referencing uh, Roosevelt's diaries and talking about how, like, he himself acknowledges that when he got there, he thought Rondon was just this, like, you know, native guide, whatever. And by the end, he was like, no, this dude's a badass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about Teddy Roosevelt's politics, but coming out of these two books, I have a lot of respect for just his, like, way, like, his mentality and his way of thinking yeah Yeah. like open-mindedness even to treat rondona as like a not just a peer but like somebody he clearly admired and would go to bat for i mean it's like i don't know he seems like a like probably the most badass president that i've ever heard of at least like from a just physical accomplishments type of guy yeah i'm trying to think he he seems like he would actually get along with the like fighter pilots in a way <laughs> I, I, I can, I can yeah, imagine he, Roosevelt I can imagine Roosevelt on Rogan you know oh 100% <laughs> dude AI could make that possible potentially because Roosevelt wrote a lot too so I bet there's a lot yeah, of like yeah. writing that it could you could digest of his dude I, that would be, <laughs> be hilarious we need, so we should figure out how to man? <laughs> we should figure out how to like do that and release it as a made you think episode <laughs> that would be hilarious on our feed <laughs> I would, I would, would, like, that would be a fun, a really fun thing to do. I don't know how you'd recreate it. Are there audio recordings of him? Like, was he too early for that? They said he had a surprisingly high voice, though. I don't, I remember reading that. His voice was, like, surprisingly high-pitched. Yeah. Yeah, there are recordings from his 1912 campaign speeches. Okay. We're in business. for us. Yeah. (laughs) I think there is a... I think that's a Joe Rogan, Steve Jobs AI episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite good. It is good. It is surprisingly good. And there's a lot more material of each of their dude. voices. But yeah, but dude, Rogan, I don't think you need like, a very large voice sample. Just, just thinking oh, about right? this, like, there's some amazing yeah. episodes. Like, if you could do this, like, you wouldn't have any voice sam- sample of like Genghis Khan, but like Rogan on Genghis, Ro- Genghis Khan on Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does he write much? I, I don't think so. A, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. That's what I mean. That one would be hard to to do, but like that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, Shakespeare, definitely Shakespeare, like all the old philosophers. <laughs> well, I don't know if Shakespeare wrote. I don't know if Shakespeare was his perspective. Though, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you could get all the old philosophers. Oh yeah. But you'd have a what the hell. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you deal? <laughs> no, it's because of your thumb. It's because of your thumb. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, do this. Whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> what the hell? This Wait, I kind of want to do. I kind of want to go video with these special effects. <laughs> I didn't even know this what? existed. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, this is just a thing that Max do now. Or river is it a riverside yeah. thing or is it a, or is a riverside thing? No, it's it's a Mac thing. They added but I'm not, for I'm not those listening <laughs> unable to see what's happening, Nat did a thumbs up by mistake and FaceTime gave him a thumbs up and 
Now we're all yeah, it's like a little hand gestures. A deal went Super Saiyan for a second. Whoa, like, two thumbs up. That's pretty exciting. Stuff. Fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you I think this does something it. too. Hey, you can mine isn't doing it. Call on the back. Oh my god, this is so ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I like how Nat when that when you first saw the bubbles, you were like, "Where are these bubbles coming from?" I know. I thought I thought a deal had like found a filter on Riverside and was screwing with me. <laughs> I love that so, I was assumed the culprit right away. <laughs> well, because you, you it is something you would do. It is something. It is something I would do. Your giggle that you do when you've done something silly. So what were we talking about? We're talking about, about Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> on Rogan. Uh, podcasts. Teddy oh, Roosevelt yeah, on historical yeah, yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Mm. Not, I mean, <laughs> this is actually kind of a funny thought. Like, we're, we're by far the most narcissistic generation in history. Just, like, Shakespeare didn't really write down many of his own thoughts, as far as I know. Even there aren't, like, tons and tons of, like, his views on the world, just the plays and the sonnets and whatnot. <laughs> and then you've got us, who are, like, on Twitter all day, like, here are all my opinions on the world. <laughs> <laughs> These are very important. You should care about them. <laughs> it's a good point, actually, though, because the so much of the richness of this story and of River of Doubt was that everyone kept a detailed diary. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. journal. And just imagine you have to like carry that thing through the rain and like the boats capsize and you gotta save it out of the water and then that's a it's kind of amazing real dedication. Yeah. yeah. The journal yeah. survived, yeah. You know who, uh, actually another one who'd be good who wrote a lot and there there are voice recordings of is Churchill. Like Churchill on Rogan mm. would actually oh, be yeah. interesting. Churchill would be a really good one. Yeah, but you're right. Actually, a lot of he these would... people did keep journals though. Like maybe they didn't have Twitter because it obviously didn't exist. But like, I bet all these Thanks, people no. would have tweeted a lot. <laughs> obviously. They... Didn't exist. Well, obviously. I bet a lot of these people would have. Imagine Churchill on Twitter. He's no, like that's what I'm saying. Like, I think, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I think like if the tool existed, actually, like Teddy Roosevelt would have been tweeting. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Heading off into the river of doubt. <laughs> Won't have <laughs> service for a few days. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Wish me luck. Uh, I mean, somebody should, I mean, have, have you seen uh, Meta's new thing on Instagram mm. where they have the AI personalities? With celebrity faces yeah i haven't played around oh. with it but i've seen that they've they have it i just started poking at it this afternoon it's kind of interesting where it's basically like if you go into your instagram dms you can chat with ai and then you can pick a personality and they all have celebrity faces but different like personalities attached to them hmm. but like like there's a there's one that looks like tom brady and it's like your sports crazy friend so it's like a friend <laughs> who you can talk to about sports and there's one who's like a writing coach and one's like a kind old grandpa and one's a motivational speaker. One's like a fitness trainer, right? So it's like, you can just talk to them about the things that they know about and they have like personalities and stuff. Like on the one hand, it's a little bleak, right? Because people don't have friends anymore. So they're just going to yeah, talk to these ass. Like on the other hand, it's kind of fucking cool. Like the fitness trainer thing is great. I might yeah, download Instagram so I could use useful. that. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, Alex Hardy was showing me like he had chat GPT do all of his programming for a Spartan race. Like, wow. He just asked it for a training plan to follow and like put in his like strengths and times and everything. And it like gave him a plan leading up to the race and it was good. Wow. Good I mean, that, 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 
range, I think, of fitness trainers going to get replaced pretty quickly, assuming you're not paying for the like accountability. Which I wonder, but, yeah, I wonder if knowing it is a chatbot makes you less accountable to it. Because you can probably get a chatbot to ask you, did you do your run or did you do whatever? But like knowing it's a chatbot, you're like, yeah, whatever. Like, have you guys, <laughs> what if you didn't know it was seen... a chatbot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it was like an audio thing. Or like a virtual, yeah, a virtual that. coach that like yeah, yeah. you thought was a human but wasn't. I was going to say, uh, you guys remember that tool Pavlock? Yes. No. What was it? It was. It was like a, a bracelet that you could wear. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a habit tracker type thing. And if you didn't comply, it would electrocute you. <laughs> <laughs> so you could just connect that to chat GPT. And then you have to like send it a photo of you at the gym <laughs> or else it electrocutes you. <laughs> oh, man. It's like a really, really bad dystopian AI novel in the works. Here. That's a good. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a good premise, Nat. For like, yeah, right. <laughs> like for all Salvo of, for Skynet. <laughs> exactly. All all the self improvement bros bring about Armageddon by giving ChatGPT padlocks, enslaving <laughs> the human race. <laughs> you know what? It's something like that. That's like the paperclip thing with the yeah. with AIs, yeah. but it's like <laughs> it's actually you, brought about by something like this. <laughs> you wake up one day and there's a task that says, uh, like, upgrade my server capacity. And you're like, I didn't put this here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Clearly, we were born too late to do actual exploring. So we have to just come up with these things. Oh, okay. So you you said, uh, Neil, you're talking about how he seems like a, a very modern guy. And I started laughing. Mm. But the reason I started laughing was... I had this highlighted from the story of him going to university where, like you said, he came from a poor family. He had this like rich uncle who helped him get in. But then once he was in university, he he decided to try to do the four years of university in a year, right? For a year and a half. And so it's got this note on his morning routine. Classes and stuff started at 6 a.m., but it was Rondon's habit to rise promptly at four. So as to squeeze more into his day, a custom he retained for the remainder of his life. First, he went for a long swim, even when the sea was choppy or rain was falling, and then took a cold shower in the chill <laughs> There <town>. you go. <laughs> By five, he was back in his Spartan accommodations where he would cram in a full hour of study before his fellow students awoke, reading in the dark by the faint light of a whale oil lamp in his small cubicle. Wake up early and take cold showers, you know? Dude, get some reading in. It's like... always been the way. <laughs> yeah, get some reading done. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought that was hilarious. Like, I can't escape it. Dude, he was a badass from like such an early badass. age to like 4 a.m. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, four years of college. I'm gonna knock that out in a year and a half. And a half. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I had had this highlighted too. By the time he was six, Rondon could already ride, shoot, set traps, hunt fish, and track. He knew which berries, fruits, and mushrooms were edible and which were not. Uh, from local indigenous folk, he learned about the medicinal qualities of the roots, bark, and leaves of certain trees and plants. He was a genuine backwoodsman, shaped and strengthened by life on the frontier. So he was in, this is kindergarten age, and he could do all that. Wow. wow. Like, I can't do a quarter of that. Can you guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> but we can wow. make funny background effects. Make dank memes. Yeah. Thumbs up. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much of that was like, that probably was not normal even at that time. Like, I bet that was pretty mm-hmm. impressive even at in that era. 
to be able it, to do it that. seems like one of those things, you know, like in this, you know, a certain degree of narrative fallacy with these things, but they look to someone's childhood to find examples of the thing that defined them later in life. He was probably just really interested in it. He probably was yeah. really drawn to it, which is why he ended up doing that for his whole life. Yeah, it seemed like that's what he wanted to do, even like in his later life. Like he had a lot of opportunities to get more into like politics and to like do all these other things. And he was like, I, no, I'd rather just be in the Amazon. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. That was that, also that part I, of the positivist creed, right? It's like yeah. he couldn't get engaged in politics. Yes, yeah, that's true. Mm, yeah. yeah. Which uh, I felt like it, and the, the author called this out where it was yeah. like he would often interpret positivism to like, yeah. do what he wanted because it's like yeah i couldn't get involved in politics but he like very directly helped the coup that overthrew the government right yeah. like he was clearly a pretty like clever political actor in his own way yeah uh, also to get sponsorship <laughs> for these expeditions and stuff like he definitely he was, had to like, play friends the with the president yeah he was like yeah getting these expeditions like I, I thought that was just kind of a funny quip for the author to throw in it's like a letter of the law, spirit of the law thing. Like letter of the law, he didn't hold office, but spirit of the law, he was definitely one of the most powerful men in the country. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Not many people have a state named after them. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought it was badass that it was like basically his home area got renamed for him. Yeah. Right. It's pretty cool. Like, like how? I mean, that that's pretty fucking cool, right? It's like imagine being so badass. The state you were born in gets renamed. <laughs> <laughs> was that posthumous, or was that while he was still alive? I think it was alive. Like it was okay. towards the end of his life. I think it was near the end because wasn't there that whole episode where he was kind of in the political wilderness for a while and he was kind of being mistreated uh, in in hindsight, yeah. like when that dictator—I yeah. forget the dictator's name—but there was like a dictator who took power. It was like Vargas, I think. Var- yeah, and kind of hated him. Like where he had to like front money, his own money for like ex- certain yeah, expeditions. Yeah. 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 Like then the government like yeah. didn't pay the native people that were like providing services. And there's like a lot of stuff. And I think the next regime was like, yeah, that was messed up. That happened a few times. I think if I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the river of doubt expedition, he also was chasing them down to pay him back for a few years. Yeah. Well, it seems like that was a common theme where, I mean, it's sort of like with any country, right? Like the political parties shift who's in power. So it's like yeah. whenever his team was in power, he would like get this money at these expeditions and the other one would come into power and it would be like, okay, like what's going to happen here? But the fact that it would happen like while he was in the middle of expeditions and be like way out in the wilderness and then get these telegraphs that, hey, like <laughs> all the money just got pulled and uh, you can't keep feeding your men <laughs> and stuff. That's insane. <laughs> Yeah, he was also like, there were definitely elements to him that were like, in you know, we didn't, I didn't realize this in River of Doubt, but like, there's a quotation from the expedition, the River of Doubt expedition, that was like, so military like, uh, but to like an extreme, and even the author hmm. calls it out. So this is like on the expedition, Rondon, always an early riser, began his day whenever possible with a pre-dawn swim in whatever water was closest to camp. After River reveal i don't know what that word is when everyone was assembled he would read the order of the day briefly summarizing the past day's activities he would then announce future objectives and assign each man his duties he did this habitually until the expedition ended ignoring the element of repetition involved like the flag raising ceremony reading the order of the day was a way of imposing structure regularity and stability in the midst of often chaotic situations 
probably also really helped be like, look, I'm in charge. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> every day I'm going to take a little bit of your time to start and end the day. Interesting how that's like a daily standup, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's like the same well, idea. I was a, also, <laughs> I was thinking like, uh, like a religion too, yeah. right? Like yeah. having a morning and evening prayer type thing. It's like, it, like having that kind of structure, especially in the wilderness is probably extremely helpful. Dude, also pre-dawn swim in whatever water was closest to camp in this piranha-infested waters. Like, I would not go close to the water with some of these stories of the piranhas. <laughs> like, um, Although it did seem like as long as you weren't bleeding. Yes, yeah. And you didn't, like, chum the water, you were probably okay. Yeah, that's true. So, And he so, probably knew that. I, I, he, I he still wouldn't do it either. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't splash too much. Otherwise, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That, that was in River of Doubt, right? Where the guy was out on the branch and he dropped something in the water. Mm-hmm. And yep. all the piranhas started freaking out. And then he fell in after. Yeah, that was like a camera guy or something, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. 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 Um, that guy died. Yeah. There was a reference yeah. to, yeah. Oh, he yeah. died later, but he didn't die from that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was another one that they mentioned. Anyway, I I might be. There was somebody who got eaten by the piranhas, yeah. but it wasn't the story yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, there, there's yeah. also a quotation from Roosevelt in the same area of I think right before the expedition started, where he said, "I have already lived and enjoyed as much of life as any nine other men I know. I have had my full share, and if it is necessary for me to leave my bones in South America, I am quite ready to do so." <laughs> and he almost did. Yeah, I, people were just <laughs> like, I wonder tougher yeah. back then or maybe this is just posturing for your journal i don't know but yeah no no, no. this was not in his journal he said this to there were two americans trying to discourage him from going like one was the natural mm. like the museum mm. thing, natural history museum person or whichever museum sponsored the the trip remember yeah 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 and it was yeah. like this well, could was be, in the could be where, for them too right yeah it's totally like, yeah. you know he, he knows he has this image to maintain yep <laughs> there's a there's a good quote I forget which expedition this was. It's not included in the quote. But at the, st- the start of the expedition was not auspicious. For more than a month, Rondon had been running a very high temperature due to a continuing bout of malaria. It goes on to describe his condition, which is quite bad. And apparently men were like leaving the troop and they were just dis- like their spirits were low. So Rondon assembled his remaining troops for a pep talk. Quote, I'll go ahead alone if I have to, but all those willing to go with me take one step forward. Seeing that no one backed out, he then barked, forward march. Then a few paragraphs later, someone insisted Rondon mount an ox and ride rather than walk to save his energy. At first he agreed, but then because everyone else continued on foot, he got off and later in his journal wrote, with every meter, my self-respect diminished. (laughs) It is such, it's like very different, both like a manner of speech, right? Like the open discussion and like thinking about your own mortality or self-respect or the image. Maybe it was common for a leader of that era, but I think even today it wouldn't. Today there's so much more about like be approachable and agreeable and like similar to the people you're leading. And over there it's like, no, like I am this untouchable, tough as nails. Yeah. (laughs) But did you guys highlight that story about where, uh, what was the context? They're like trying to get back from somewhere and they, they run and they're like, everybody's sick and dying, like including Rondon. And they reach like a semi uncrossable river. And so, Oh, and then they cross swims, it. And then they're, and he yeah. swims across it yeah. with like all of their gear. Yeah. 
Where is it? I gotta find this. Wow. While you're looking for that, speaking of gear, there was something which was probably also in River of Doubt, but I don't think we talked about it, where the Brazilian side versus the American side and how many containers they had for stuff. So the Brazilian side had 38 containers in all, and then it goes on to like describe what's in the containers. Then it's like, in contrast, the much smaller American contingent had 99 containers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, so... This all happens in like two or three pages. So the the Namaquara, he hasn't like made allies with them yet. And like he and somebody else surprise them and they shoot him with a poison arrow and it lodges in his like leather oh, satchel. Yeah. So but it's like under his shirt. So all all the warriors see is that the like poison arrow went into him and then he just like kept going and was like fine and then they like see him again an hour or two later and he's just, like normal and they're like what the hell this guy is like a god yeah. and then but then uh so they they stop attacking them but they like or the, the Namakora run ahead and like untie their canoes so Rondon and his men get to the landing and it says uh, when they arrived at the riverbank the canoe they had left there was gone the Namakora had equipped evidently untied it and let it uh, drift away downstream. Level of disappointment was so high that it took from my dejected companions the last remnants of their courage and energy. To swim across the river would be impossible for half-starved men, drained by fatigue, ill, terrified by the possibility of an attack. Rondon knew he had to do something. As other members of the expedition lay spent on the riverbank, he fashioned several tree branches into a large circle then attached a cowhide to form a crude improvised raft. To this, he fastened a rope, then plunged into the water with a first load of cargo and swam across the safe side of the river, hauling the raft by the rope gripped between his teeth. (laughs) After depositing the cargo on the other shore, he repeated the process until all the equipment was safely unloaded there. So he carries all of the equipment across himself. (laughs) Then he began transporting the sickest and weakest of his companions on the same raft. (laughs) Wow. And then those able to swim entered the water one by one and made their way to the other side. <laughs> Three hours later, the crossing was complete. The men and their equipment had reached safety without anyone or anything being lost. <laughs> wild. Can you imagine having someone like that as a leader of an organization you're in? No. Because it would be both like inspiring, but also so intimidating and almost embarrassing. Yeah. Like, well, he's swimming for the eighth time, and what am I doing? Yeah, he's he's on his eighth lap while I'm here, like massaging my feet. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It would almost be like too much, right? Be like you'd almost get to give yourself a pass because he seems so inhuman. Yeah, I I have heard that anecdotally for, and I have I have not read the Musk book, but I have heard that like in a very different way working for Elon is like somewhat like that where he actually knows a lot of the details of things yeah. which you're like and that's like your own area and it's like he somehow knows all the details of your job and you're like wait but this guy runs like multiple companies and is involved in every facet of this company and yet knows like my job as well as I do and it's kind of like scary from that perspective totally. <laughs> yeah some people are just different. Yeah. One, one thing with Rondon that was, I thought like, and, and I guess who am I to say this, but like, 
I took Ro- Roosevelt's side on this with like the whole surveying of the river. Oh yeah, part where they're like literally running out of food and like <laughs> losing their supplies at a very bad rate. And he's like, "Nope, we got to survey like all of this this river, no matter what." And I don't care that like we're running out of food. Like probably in his mind, he was like, "We'll figure it out." Like there's animals here. There's like plants we can eat. Like we- we'll be okay. And everyone else is like kind of freaking out a little bit. And at one point, I, Roosevelt, it says, trying to be diplomatic and hoping to soothe Rondon's feelings, said, great men don't concern themselves with minor details. And Rondon, <laughs> and Rondon responded, I am neither a great man, nor is this a minor detail. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, though. I, uh, I remember that conflict from River of Doubt, too. Mm-hmm. About how, uh, you know, Roosevelt and Kermit wanted to, like, give up on the surveying thing and just get to safety. And I remember when I was reading River of Doubt, thinking, like, why does this Rondon guy care so much about certain, like, why is this even a discussion? You know, how could he possibly think that it makes sense to stop and do this? But reading this book, it makes so much more sense because to Rondon, this was, like, not a big deal. Like, River <laughs> of Doubt is a very dramatic book and it's very exciting. But you really get the sense of reading this that this was just like literally another day at work, right, for Rondon. And so to him, it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, I want to get you guys home safe. But also, like, we kind of came here to do this. Maybe you should just like stop bitching. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's like going it's skydiving all- once and then talking to a skydiving instructor who does it eight times a day. <laughs> right? Like all the uh, yeah. details. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right? It's like... He's, I think Rondon was just like so unfazed by so much of what was going on that he's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't we keep surveying guys? <laughs> Are you uncomfortable? <laughs> I didn't realize the extent to which they were surveying until this book, because I think they actually put a number to it in, into the Amazon, which was, I think the first day they stopped like 114 times, something like that. I wow. missed that. Yeah. That's wild. Like I, I, it wasn't like five or ten stops. That was the thing that <laughs> yeah, stood yeah. out to me. It was in the neighborhood. I, I, it was three digits. Yeah. I do remember the way that they described in River of Doubt was that the surveying boat would leave before camp was broken. It would leave like first thing in the morning, and then everybody else would pass them eventually. And then they would get to camp two or three hours later. So, yeah. but that's wild. A hundred stops, man. Yeah. And those big, heavy, two thousand pound dugout canoes too. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff is so wild. The, the the other thing that was kind of interesting, I have a quotation from this book, but it was also mentioned in that Paul Rosalie book about deforestation. Obviously, we're way further along deforestation, like the deforestation path than we were in Rondon's time. But yeah. Rondon was talking about at one point how uh, the Amazon is prone to droughts when it gets uh, when there's deforestation happening. And so this quotation is, unusually for his time, Rondon also emphasized the long-term consequences of deforestation and its linkage mm. to drought. He had already noticed this phenomenon in part of the am- parts of the Amazon where ranchers and colonists from the South had discarded traditional Indian methods of cultivation and crop rotation. In the Northeast, where European uh, habitation had a much longer history, the problem was even more pronounced. It is human agency that has taken on the strange role of making deserts, he wrote. When rain arrives, he noted, it passes swiftly over the denuded tablelands whose intense solar irradiation alters the saturation point, 
further diminishing the probability of rain. Interesting. Yeah, and it's it's actually interesting because in the Paul Rosalie book, one thing that he talks about is how the rain in the Amazon, because you know that's like a nonfiction book, like they pull in exposition, and one of the things that he talks about is like the rain in the Amazon is at, and the oxygen as well. Actually, it's all actually a pretty self-contained ecosystem where uh-huh. um, you know the rain is actually produced by the like it's like the the water vapor from the plants and animals becomes the rain, which then becomes the water vapor. Like it's very much mm-hmm. like the same water going back and forth as opposed mm-hmm. to from external sources. So when you mess with that, you when you mess with that like self-contained ecosystem, it actually like, it's very hard to get back if you're trying mm-hmm. to like restore part of the Amazon. Yeah. And it'll also like the plant life is so dense, I think to a level which we can't even, we've, well, Nat, you've, I think you've been to the Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, like, the plant life density is wild. Yeah, which like it's I, like it's, it's all on top of each other. It's so yeah, crazy. that's what they were saying, right? Yeah. So it's like it's like very hard to like bring that back once it's cleared for agriculture because it was it was that. created over the course of like literally thousands yeah. of years um, to get to that level of density, and then that density is what creates that self-contained ecosystem. Mm. Makes sense. It reminds me of the uh, forests in seeing like a state. Hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 uh, What was the term? I forget the word. Well, where it's like, I think, Adil, the idea you're talking about is where it's like a government would just see a forest and whether it's all one tree of forests that you just artificially plant versus like this old growth, like old growth to the extreme type of forest. That's like a very... They would like plant these forests that only had one type of tree. Yeah. Right. And... No cover crops. And the forest... Yep. The forest would just, after two or three generations, pretty much just die out. Yeah, takes everything out of the soil. Yeah. And what your food ate too. Yeah, you know what the mm. what the modern, not modern, uh, but what one of the other equivalents that reminds me of is like the whole carbon credit idea, where mm. it's like same market. Like, mm. Well, you can like like you know how you have like let's say Stripe does this and like so many other uh, places online you can like buy and like it's like oh offset your carbon emissions by like buying this credit right. or whatever. The way those credits are generated is like companies planting trees and they're basically like saying that the trees are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, which is absolutely true. But it's like, and it's not a bad thing. People are planting trees. So I don't want to like say that, but, but this whole like accounting, this like accounting of it though, is a little bit, I think like there's not enough depth to it. Like it's just using like carbon as the currency, like the sole currency of it. And like, I don't think there's, I mean, maybe there's games being played, but I don't know if like that's not really what the problem is. It's just that like that is just one. It's it's like a very seeing like a state type of problem. It's like oh, one, right. the only variable that's really being taken into account when it's probably like, you know, thousands of variables. Like you can't cut down an old growth forest and like plant the equivalent amount of trees somewhere else in like a field and be like, oh, those offset each other. <laughs> but that is, I think, kind of like the idea behind carbon credits. It's just like, okay, they're offset. Like we've we can continue polluting or putting carbon into the atmosphere because we've offset it with this other source of carbon reduction. But that doesn't tell the whole story. I saw something on Twitter in the last few days about a company working on creating like, like basically there's something about like 3d printing carbon structures using CO2 as the input. So they're going to be able to like make synthetic materials by just pulling the carbon out of CO2 molecules 
and then like making things with them. I don't know what you make with that exactly, right? Like, I guess maybe you could make stuff for pharmaceuticals. So I, I, that that to me still feels like we're going to figure out something to do with CO2 eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. we're going to get to a point where it's going to be really profitable to do something with all the extra CO2 or methane in the air and somebody's going to build a great business off it. It's going to be like, okay, well, and, and you know what's probably also going to happen if that, <laughs> that would be more CO2. <laughs> well, and you know what's going to, oh, yeah, I was going to say what would happen at that point is any producer of CO2 would figure out how to, how to capture all of it if it was a yeah, useful yeah. waste stream, which is yeah, like, totally. Yeah. I mean, they would I mean, just not let it go. Ships, right. <laughs> yeah. Like the all the rising temperatures we've had the last couple of years and the ships during COVID, you guys saw that story, right? No, what was that? Oh, uh, okay, this is wild. All right, so do you guys remember there was like this chart showing all of the ice that was melting in the Antarctic in 2021? It like went kind of viral a year or two ago, where it was like we're seeing absurdly high temperatures in the Antarctic and the Arctic, and we like we've never seen an escalation like this before, like something has really sped up with climate change. Like something's wrong. It was really kind of freaky for a year. And then it went back down it went back to normal. And everyone was, or it started going back towards normal. Everyone was like, okay, what the hell happened here? And somebody figured it out. And it was all of the global shipping uh, traffic. Those ships were putting so much like pollution or whatever into the atmosphere over the oceans that it was counteracting some of the effects of the other pollution being done because it was obscuring some of the sun hitting the water and warming the earth. And so by not having all of the shipping freight during COVID, we like temporarily accelerated climate change because more sun was hitting the ocean. This <laughs> reminds so- me of, well, I think this was a Bush era policy idea to like release, I think it was sulfur dioxide into yeah, the upper yeah, atmosphere. Into the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this reminds me of. It's kind of a like, similar hey, idea. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, oh, We're just not taking fun. the pollution far enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, more pollution. Or, you guys ever watch Futurama? Yeah. There's this really funny episode. It's just like a minor bit in the episode where they're like, okay, we figured out how to solve climate change. We're just going to put a mirror in space. <laughs> and we're going to reflect a certain amount of the sun's rays away. And like, then, you know, that much heat won't get here. And then like, a teeny tiny rock dings it and the, yeah. the mirror starts tipping. So then it ends up like concentrating a beam and just like <laughs> lightsaber cuts through Canada or something. Of course, Canada. <laughs> Unintended consequences. <laughs> well, the, the other thing about this book that I thought shed more color than River of Doubt was the later years. Yes. To take us well, back and which, run down for a minute. Yeah. Well, which that book was very much focused just on the expedition. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, it briefly was like, here's what he did next. But yeah. this was his basically for 40 years because he retired from the army or was yeah, like he lived moved. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. For like 95 or whatever. Wow. Yep. Yeah. There are all those cold showers, man. <laughs> so the cold showers at 4 a.m. wake ups. <laughs> but it was very tumultuous. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like his, it seems like his career, kind of had the like, it was easier earlier, or like it was. It was, it was like physically more, demanding and politically easier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Better way to say that. Well, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was the the 
SPI, which is like the Indian Protection Agency, it got like shut down and brought back and then like completely underfunded. Then the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, that fiasco, was crazy. Where he was nominated, I think, like three times and kept getting snubbed. It kind of was nominated by, yeah. wasn't he nominated by Einstein? Einstein. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. There's so many cool tie-ins like that. It, well, and yeah. kind of, it kind of recurs the whole uh, getting promoted to general thing, right? Where it's like he'd been mm-hmm. in the military for so long and had done so much, but then we just like, could, just couldn't get that final promotion for so long. It kind of felt like yep. he kept getting looked over for things like his whole life. Yeah. It's too bad. Yeah. It was like kind of what you would imagine. I don't know the better wording for this, but like a company man. It's like you show up, mm. you put a smile on always, and you almost become too reliable. Yeah. yeah. Like they took him for granted. Took him for Exactly. Because yeah. then they, if I'm not mistaken, so I might be getting the sequence of events here wrong and feel free to correct me. But after Vargas removed him from the military and then later needed him to go and settle the border dispute, the dispute between... Oh, I it was like Peru and I forget who. Yeah. Was between. Uh, yeah. But yeah. that was a four year project. He was sent to the border and lived there for four years after having been stripped of his title. Yeah. And he went and he did it. Like it's a lot of strong sense of duty. Yeah. Yeah. Company man. Like you said. Yeah. The thing that, all this made me think about, so he had his wife, I forget her birth name, but they called her Chiquita throughout the book. And they had, I believe it was seven kids. I wonder how many years they actually spent together. Because when she passed away, yeah, when she passed away in his diary, he wrote that they had deferred their time together repeatedly and then never really got it. Yeah. But seven children, I wonder if they even spent like a decade in, in some together. I didn't get the sense of it did. Yeah. Because the four-year stint was after the military when you would assume that they, you know, would have had their time. That that part made me a little sad. So Yeah, and his daughter, too. Yeah. Yeah, when the, his the, daughter died while he was on expedition. And, mm-hmm. like, and I don't think this is a case. Yeah. And, and I don't think this is a case of, like, a loveless marriage either, where it's, you know, like, if it was, like, one where it's, like, all right, we're married, but, like, we're just together out of, like, a sense of duty. There was one section with the telegraph where I have this quotation where he's saying for the next two years, he would remain in the wilderness with only telegrams and letters linking him to his family. Eventually, Chiquita learned Morse code. So she oh, and yeah. Rondon I thought that could, was so sweet. Yeah. So she and Rondon could chat online for hours at a time after his workday was over and she had put the children to bed. They continued this practice for decades, leaving no record of their conversations behind. It's really cute. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, but also like chatting Just online. Just texting his boo. Yep. You know? Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Oh, do you think people did like sexting over Telegram? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they must have. They must have. They must have. That had to have happened. <laughs> you know what? If we were like a more, uh, if we were trying to market this podcast more, that quote right there would be like an intro <laughs> quote be, like do you think yeah that would be a great little short form video segment yeah <laughs> no I, I i highlighted that too i thought that was really i also didn't realize that you could like do that for some like 
You know I what? It probably cost of, money. I know the tele the the like sending telegrams cost money, but he ran the telegram. So hmm. yeah. Like Which I, part I guess, of it costs money though? Is it the operator who does the transcribing? Well, probably? I know if like so a if civilian wants to yeah. do it, right? It's like not yeah. a some like I remember. I, I remember there always used to be like a cost like. I'd read that in some other book of like per line or whatever, which is why they were very terse in in their messages. But I think that was if you're using someone to yeah. transcribe to Morse code right, and then right. the inverse on the other side. Right, right. So this part wouldn't. Yeah, if the infrastructure yeah. is there, yeah. probably. Totally. If she knew Morse code and she could tap it out herself, it'd probably be free. But yeah. like I, I've never, yeah. the one thing I'd be curious to hear more about is like, how does a connection work with a, Morse, yeah. with, a uh, with a telegraph line? Because... Like, I mean, obviously, like, there's no number that you call. So can anybody on the line? But that wouldn't make sense either, right? It'd be an interesting thing to look up at some point. It'd yeah. be a good, like, 10-minute YouTube check video. check right now. Yeah. Yeah, like, do you input, like, a station number or something? But, like... There's got to be, there's gotta be a, a, an operator or something. Oh, like or, a switchboard so, kind of thing? Right? I think the capacity of a telegraph line yeah that's the other thing were they clogging up the line this whole time <laughs> yeah yeah like internet well, in 2005 just yeah. you can't use the phone <laughs> like, totally and i mean these weren't fiber optic cables so they're, they're it must have been lossy over a distance right the network was point to point between stations which were manually switched much like early telephone exchanges so it was an operator i guess like a switchboard yeah operator of. yeah Multiple messages could be sent along the same line, but not simultaneously in the earliest systems. They have to be sent sequentially. Got it. <laughs> ChatGPT is so cute sometimes. Tells me all about like ancient telegrams, and it's like modern telegram services and describes <laughs> Des- describes what the app telegram. <laughs> yeah, today the term telegram refers to a cloud-based instant messaging service. <laughs> Where people complain about their shit coins and get scammed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the Einstein thing was cool. The, the sorry, I know I'm taking us back. The thing I that stood out to me there is they never met. Einstein went to Brazil and just heard so much about Rondon that he submitted the Nobel Peace Prize nomination. Yeah, so and then, cool. And then, he never, <laughs> and then he never won, right? And they had never yeah. given it to a. South American, I think, until many years later. Yeah. Until like the yeah, 90s, I, I think. It was a while. Apparently, he also was the uh, top collector or contributor of... Oh, yeah. Artifacts Stuff to the museum? To, yeah, to the yeah, Brazilian yeah. Like, Natural History Museum. Which makes sense, because yeah, he's probably out there more than anybody else. <laughs> but I always wonder just how they... Like, all That's the so stuff true. they were carrying, right? Yeah. Like if you're bringing back a specimen of a bird, like you must do something to preserve it while you're out there, and then you got to, you know, it's a fragile thing to carry around. I mean, I've always been impressed by these histories of like backpackers, explorers, and you know just how much stuff they carried. Right, like the uh, the voyageurs in North America, the people who first came into like Minnesota and southern Canada in that area to like collect beaver pelts and stuff, they would they would hike and canoe with like 200 pound backpacks full of stuff. And they could walk for like miles with a 200 pound pack on. Dude, I need to get another Which, plate for my ruck. <laughs> yeah. 25 right? pounds is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's wild to imagine. And they had, they had like, they had, uh, 
there'd be an extra line you could put over your forehead so you could lean into it and it would compress your spine. Mm. I mean, you could use like your full upper body to support the weight and all this stuff. But I mean, people could just carry so much more <laughs> than we think. Yeah. I wonder, cause I've been backpacking and like the heaviest pack I carried was like 60, 65, which is a fraction of what you just described, but yeah. it is easier to carry it when you have the waist strap, right? Cause then it's totally. not on your shoulder. The yeah. rock pack I have doesn't have a waist strap. So it actually ends mm-hmm. up being really annoying to use because it's all on the shoulders. The head mm-hmm. thing is really interesting too, because you'll see photos of, I don't know, like indigenous tribes where they carry stuff and it's only around the head strap. There's no yeah, shoulder yeah. strap or waist strap. I think if you get the positioning right, you can hold the most weight that way, supposedly. Yeah. But I don't, I've, I've never, I like, I, I've used packs that had it. And I've never totally like figured out how it works. Maybe it's something you get used to. I don't know. Yeah. Also kind of scary, like putting a lot of weight on your neck. Right? Yeah. You don't want to, maybe you don't want to do it wrong. Heavy. Yeah. No, I definitely don't want to do that wrong. Yeah. There was a, another section which kind of ties to, I think it was in what your food ate. We had a little tangent about mm-hmm. this, but he talked about, or the, the author talked about how when Rondon had some kind of illness, which like they still aren't really sure what it was, but says Rondon was really craving pineapple and begged his friends to buy one. Oh yeah. 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 And when he killed himself from studying so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And his friend and his doctor was basically like, it can't hurt. And he had the pineapple and then he woke up the next day feeling brand new. It's like one. I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, basically they, they they say they don't know like what exactly he had. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I think he was just eating like rice and beans and stuff for his entire yeah, diet. Right. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like again, those cravings that we were talking about, like have a, there's like a reason. Trust the body him. knows. Body knows. Something, we haven't talked too much about this and I think it gets glossed over because a lot of the way Rondon is framed is like really tough explorer political, but he was also like kind of an, intellect, an intellectual Mm-hmm. And the, the piece that comes to mind is he did a lot of documenting of the indigenous languages. Mm. Oh, so yeah. That's so, so cool. He'd go in and live with them for like a month and then he would know their language and he would like be able to transcribe a lot of it for other people who wanted to visit them. That's super impressive. Yep. yep. It's totally left field of the other things he was doing. Like, Yeah. The, the, the stories, uh, there was one it's one of these highlights, but where he like goes into a village and they've like, he's had no contact with them, but he brings them gifts. And then they're like, okay, you can like come, you know, visit us. And then he goes in and he sits down and they give him some food and he's like sitting there eating the food. And then they start doing some sort of like celebration dance. And then he just sits there and like watches them do the dance for a little bit and then jumps up and starts doing the same dance with them because he like memorized the steps just sitting there. And everybody's like mind blown. And so they immediately like bring the women and children back and they're like, this guy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Give him all these other gifts. And then he ends up staying there. Yeah. I think, I think maybe this is the one we stay there for the next month and like learns the language. And like somebody else comes to visit him and like a, a local kid is like hugging his leg as he's walking around. Right. It was like a very funny, like modern thing you imagine, right? Like the kid wrapped around like, uncle's leg like play with me or something it's like this image of him having that experience this tribe you just met a month ago and that that image if i recall correctly got circulated 
beyond the tribe because I think it was Vargas used it against him to imply that oh. he may have been a pedophile. Which is wild. Like wow, he was I totally so, missed that plot line. Yeah, it was a very brief mention, basically, that he... Um, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yep. I, I think it was Vargas. I don't want to blame everything on Vargas because he's the one bad guy <laughs> name that I kind of like remember. It just sounds like uh, a bad guy. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so that's the name you give but, to a villain in the story. But, <laughs> but one of the... Uh, yeah, one of his political opponents used a story like that against him. Which is interesting because, and then we haven't actually touched on this at all yet. Like after he died, he was almost deified more after his death because uh, everyone started using his name in whatever context suited them. So you had mm. the more yeah. militant regime that sort of let go of all of his care for in the, the indigenous, and they were just like, oh, he explored as like part of his dedication to the Brazilian military. So everybody should be, you know, similar to Rondon in that way. And his name kind of became whatever you wanted it to become. <laughs> sort of like the way someone might use the constitution or founding fathers today in the U S it's like, do you not believe in the constitution? And you're like, well, hold on. Like, <laughs> which <part>? right. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about? Uh, there are facts and there are alternative facts. <laughs> But uh, the point at the very beginning where he wasn't that well known in the US and was very well known in Brazil, like at that, if you're being called that, there's only a handful of people who break into that category, yeah. right? Where uh, your contemporaries and then after your passing will like reference your name. Like in the US, who is that? That's like Reagan, right? Where he's, he's passed. Lincoln. Lincoln. George I'm trying Washington. to think of like all the founding fathers, uh, George Washington, yeah, yeah, Thomas like, Jefferson, we, definitely Hamilton. Not even all of them. Would make not all of them. The top tier, right? the upper echelon yeah. of them. Yeah. Okay, Franklin. Ben Franklin. <laughs> ben Franklin. A a not a yeah. president who's, who fits yeah. that mold. But like, do we have anybody more? Carl Sagan, I feel Gen- like, is one. You see that General sometimes. Patton. But you would never like go in front of a huge group of all kinds of people and be like, what would Carl Sagan do? Yeah, that's true. You would say like Thomas Jefferson or something like that would work. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that is a good question. Maybe FDR sometimes. People use FDR a little bit. Like they'll say like, this is like the new deal. This is like the new, new deal. What would Kim Kardashian do? Yeah. (laughs) Dude, she's going to be the first female president. I'm telling you. you, We're on that path. We're on that path. (laughs) We're in that time. Kardashian v. Trump 2028. (laughs) I guess he can't he can't run for a third term. Well, you're assuming he wins, but yeah, Uh, if he's not in jail, he's winning. (laughs) I don't think there's any doubt about that. Well, if he endorsed her, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. Yeah. How old? Trump would be like 90 years old in 2020. Dude, that would not stop anything in this country. would <laughs> <He'd> be fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, honestly, though, you like as much as, as much hate as like you could give to Kim Kardashian. Like it is actually kind of impressive. Like what she's yeah, done with I, I her empire. And like any of the hate is very just like she's clearly very, very smart. <laughs> dude, if it was like her versus like, I don't know who she'd be running against, but like just i don't know if it was like let's say it was like a democratic primary and it was like her joe biden gavin newsom kamala harris like who would you oh, i'm thinking kardashian pick? yeah every time like getting yeah. let's go yeah <laughs> <laughs> like she's actually uh, run a business 
clearly like knows what the internet is, which is like a big step up from American politicians. Yep. <laughs> like, boom, that's it. <laughs> and then Kanye can run against her. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Oh. That would be amazing. <laughs> she would destroy him, though, I think. In oh, yeah, he, he wouldn't have a chance. That would yeah. be a true, like, Idiocracy sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen Idiocracy until last week. Oh my god! Oh, have we not like talked I, about this? I haven't. I haven't watched it in years. I feel like it hits differently now. I haven't watched it in years either. I watched it like it, like way before the like. Before, I don't know. Before what, it was painful to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not what I expected at how all. Did it, how did it land? Uh, that's a very weird question. I mean, it's like objectively it a, a bad movie, but oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it was relevant. There were certain yeah. things where I was like, I think we thought this would happen later and it's happening now. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't everybody wear Crocs uh, in the movie? Like Crocs are the shoe of the future. I forgot. Okay. I forgot. <laughs> you weren't paying attention to shoes. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I was there were other things. My eyes. There were other- I was just like, oh no. <laughs> no, no. I just think like that first scene of the movie is so like, you're just like, oh, this is what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Like that, the first the scene with the kids. Yeah, with the like, yeah, the like family that's like planning their kids very carefully, and that it's like this one guy has like I forget how many children, but like nine yeah. children by like four different women or five different women or something. Here's like, yep, yep. Let's fast forward. <laughs> this. That's what happened, and that's what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I like, I do wonder if at like if you watch that, I feel like you watch that movie and you become like. It like does. Maybe it's also when I watched it, right? Like a deal. Maybe this didn't have this effect on you. I think I feel like I watched it. Like I don't know what year it came out, but I want to say it was like pre-Trump. It was like probably 2015, 2014, something like yeah, that. It was a long time ago. I think the movie came out in like two thousand two. It's old. Oh, okay, okay. I think I watched it like right after college. Like I remember it being like right after college. So for me, yeah. I graduated in twenty thirteen. So it's it was sometime around then. And I remember it was like the first time I was like, oh. There's an argument against democracy. <laughs> like <laughs> I had not thought about that before. <laughs> Cause you're just like democracy kind of would imply that like the people are of a certain caliber, basically. And like Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. It's like a it's like a strange rabbit hole, but it's like it does make you it takes that from being like an unquestioned assumption, like, oh, of course this is like the best system and always gonna re- produce the best results. To being like, oh, wait, there's actually some prereqs here that like I hadn't thought about. 2006. Yeah. Okay. So it's way old then. I heard an interesting theory the other day. I'm trying to think of the succinct way to articulate it. But it was basically something along the lines of like, the beginning is obvious. The latter part ties into what you were just saying, Neil. The beginning being as technology improves, the uh, like minimum level of like, education, intelligence, competence, whatever you want to call it, to remain alive goes down. Hmm, That's a good point. And as Hmm. such, you should then expect that the improvement of technology will lead to like the median intelligence, competence, whatever you want to call it, going down over time as technology improves. Makes sense. It's interesting. It kind of makes sense on first wink, but then it's like, well, technology should also like the the piece that i that was fascinating about it to me is that the link between technology and the required level of intelligence and competence is solid but 
the part that I had previously not thought about is that like the link between technology and better education is not a firm link. That's like a cultural thing or a policy thing. Like if technology improves, you can have a better education, but you don't necessarily, it's not like a, a preordained thing, right? You right. have to have a culture that values it, or you have to have policy that puts it in front of people. So you are risking that, uh, that it was, it was like a little idiocracy theory that the guy who recommended the movie. There's a, there's a version of that I've heard, which is that like our generation might always be the most technically competent generation. Oh yeah. I've heard this because which I actually agree phones, which I, I actually do agree with it. Phones and laptops are so easy to use now that you don't have to like, dig into the functioning of things and like learn how to run scripts and like download drivers and like hack all this shit together that you can like find on weird forums and whatever. Like a lot of kids coming up with phones, they just like talk to Siri and like stuff magically happens on their phone or like on the internet. And as soon as an app doesn't work, they just kind of like get flustered and don't know what to do because they've never like had to troubleshoot things. Whereas like we had to learn all this extra stuff. And then especially now with GPT four and like not having to learn a lot of programming a lot of the like programming language might get stuck in our generation too, because like a, you know, general practitioner might not need to understand everything the way they used to have to, or like, you know, even if you're putting stuff together from stack overflow, that's very different from just getting the answer fed to you by GPT. It's kind of compelling. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is that as technology improves, you move up layers of of abstraction, Right. And so what we're doing is like the most technical thing in our level of abstraction, which is actually interacting with UIs and like using these tools, but we're not, you know, writing uh bytecode or anything like that. Yeah, right? we're not connecting uh, transistors. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I wonder I I'm not disagreeing. I, I agree, but um the frame I would add is it's like the most technical you need to be on the lever to get the equivalent output. And like the in order to continue getting that equivalent output, you can be decreasingly technical. Right, you'll have like an AI do it for you, or you can just describe it. Or, or I think what Nat is talking about is like troubleshooting. Uh, is like troubleshooting. It's like, it's like we. But you yeah. have to troubleshoot like an AI the same way you have prompt engineering now, right? You're not writing I the guess. code, but you can't just get like a good output for free. Yeah, but I think there is something to like the era of yeah. like we kind of saw the internet develop in yeah. real time that like we kind of know how stuff is a little bit more hacked together than yeah. the modern, like for like a, the example Nat when I read that theory that came to my mind was like, I do feel like crypto made more sense to our generation, like the underlying underpin, like the underpinnings of crypto because we yeah. use tor- like we have experience with like torrents, hmm. right, like right. torrents are a very similar type of concept of this like idea of peer to peer, like, you know, downloading a file from LimeWire or like a movie, you know, like, <laughs> totally is a similar it's like the the crypto is like obviously an extension of that concept of of peer to peer but it's like if you never interacted with that i mean not to say you couldn't understand crypto plenty of people do never dealt with torrents but it was just like it felt like just a new version of the same thing but on obviously the different like frame yeah yeah not to say like you can't understand it without having seen torrents but it's like a lot of kids today have no idea that like you had to do that for music back in the day. It's like, Hey, just go to Spotify and like, you get it. Or on YouTube. And it's like, no, that was, that was new. (laughs) Like I remember when you you could find music on YouTube for the first time. I was like, wow, this is cool. Well, there's another version of this I saw, which is like, 
there, it's it was basically saying that it's easier to scam like Gen Zs That's than millennials. What I saw this concept. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because like we we grew up, you know, like downloading stuff from LimeWire, and it might be a virus, it might not. Yep. So you like knew to look for the cues. Or uh, th- this was making the argument that like video games have gotten so much softer, whereas like playing something like RuneScape, like the trade was completely unregulated, and it was just like all all peer to peer, and you could like say anything and there were lots of ways to scam people so you had to like build up psychological defenses and like understand the ways you might get scammed and tricked and whatnot and this kind of like happened all over the internet in that era right like chat rooms where like you don't know if you're talking to somebody your age or like a weird 40 year old dude right? like all of these things that there's a lot more insulation to protect people from now so they don't grow up with that same like skepticism towards stuff online so it was it's easier to trick younger people like younger people and older people, but like not the people in our age bracket. But I think your point is compelling too, Adil. I just don't like it because it makes us seem less special. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I wonder Agreed. what would prevent like my parents from making a similar claim, right? If you're doing like hole punch programming, it's, you have to understand the mechanic. You're going all the way under the hood. It's like yeah, yeah. the difference between having a, you know, an internal combustion engine car where you can repair it yourself versus having like a Tesla that there's like nothing you can do at home. Right. Yeah. I guess it would be the same argument somebody would make about our knowledge, which is like, well, you don't have to install drivers anymore, dad. So yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually a good point. I do. I do feel very disappointed though, when I play Mario Kart, like the new Mario Karts and they are just so fucking nerfed up. Now you like, you can't fly off the course. You immediately pop back on going in the right direction. You can't even turn around and go the wrong direction. It just like nudges you back. Like you, you, by default, you have kind of like a nudging to the steering that kind of keeps you on track. Like it's so, so soft wow. now. It's so disappointing. <laughs> you can turn those off, right? You can, you can. But like the okay. default is, well, you can't turn all of it off. You can't turn off the like not being able to go the opposite direction and things like that. Like all of those things are. Or some That's of those are just like hard coded. Yeah, yeah. And then you go back and play like N64 <laughs> Rainbow Road and you're just falling off the course. Like nobody's having a good time on that. Fall off the course. Wait, Nat, speaking that. of games, like this reminded me of this story from like when I was, I don't even remember how old, but whenever Age of Empires 2 came out, mm. uh, our computer at home only had 32 megabytes of RAM and the game required 48. And my parents were like, no, we're not going to buy a new computer so you can play this random game. And so my dad had a friend who was like really into like hardware and I like talked to him and I was like, yeah, I was like, is there a way to make it go from like 32 to 48? Like, I didn't know if it's possible or not. And he like helped me do it. And it was super cool. Like we bought like, I forget what it was, but like something like there's like a little kit to expand the RAM of your computer. We opened it up and like, you know, we got it up to 64 megabytes of RAM and it was like the coolest thing that you could actually do it just like you're like you can make changes to your computer. Yeah. Adil, do you remember my computer's freshman year of uh, college? My like tower? No, the, yes, yes. I yeah. That one. It was yeah. like a semi custom built PC, like same thing, Neil, right? It was like the, a, a company finished the assembly, but like I got to pick all of the parts, right? To like, Oh, that's so cool. Get all the exact specs that I wanted on it. It was sick. <laughs> Let me send you guys, check out this link. So the first laptop I had was my dad's old work laptop. Uh, it was like an old IBM ThinkPad with like the little pink nub. This, this thing I just sent adapter. you guys. 
Yeah. So oh, okay. the laptop didn't have Wi-Fi. Oh. So you have to insert this, this so cool. into the laptop nice. in order to connect to Wi-Fi. And it was like, it was pretty chunky. It's like about half yeah. the size of a credit card just sticking out the side of your laptop. <laughs> but I remember like, it was almost like one of those uh, game cartridges where sometimes it wouldn't work. So you just yeah, like take it out, out and blow like, in the hole. <laughs> 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 like, oh, let me try troubleshooting my internet. Like, <laughs> We should just start doing that when our iPhones don't like. I'll do something to like screw with my kids. Like iPhones not working, <laughs> <laughs> blow into the PC jack. Uh, Rub it with its claws. This thing is still twenty one dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's, and they have like a, a few. In, they have some in stock. That's probably just like so. the collectors. You know, <laughs> we're fucking old Good guys. Times. We're like reminiscing about our old wireless cards. Dude, that's what any like Gen Z person listening to this podcast is probably thinking. Like these guys are so old. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Gen Zs don't read, so <laughs> <laughs> they just watch. Wait, podcast, then who are all the people yeah. watching your your videos? Are they all millennials? <laughs> they're mostly twenty five to thirty four. So <laughs> they're just outside the range. I guess if you're twenty five, yeah. you're a Gen Z. But <laughs> I told you guys about my little museum, right? No, no. So I've started buying like the tech I miss from my childhood off of eBay. Oh, that's so I have cool. like an old iPod classic. I have one of the early Kindles. Uh, I have the old like eyesight camera, the standalone one that looks really oh, futuristic. Yeah. 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 Uh, iPod shuffle. There's like a handful of things in there. You There's should build a little museum on the ranch, man. Like open yeah. it up to the public. Like <laughs> the tech museum. Charge admission. Uh, <laughs> It's cool though. Some and some of those things held up really well. Like the old Kindle, I actually like the screen better than my new Kindle. Mm. And this thing is like twelve years old. So that's how I felt with the old Oasis, like the first gen Oasis. It was like smaller. Mm. Uh, yeah. I really, really like that. I don't like the new one as much. Like, yeah, that one was really compact. I remember you had the great. case, and the case had a battery in it too because yeah. the Oasis was so small. Yeah. Neil, the I, I don't know what it is about the screen. There's something about it where it just feels more paper-like. I don't really know how to describe it. It uh, it almost feels like there are fewer layers of plastic or glass between me and what's actually behind the display. That's probably the best way I can articulate it. I don't know if that's like technically accurate. But it's also a hilarious device. It has a keyboard on it. Like how often were you typing into the Kindle? Like the keyboard was just always there. <laughs> I forgot that's about true. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now you've got the scribe where you can just write on it and it gets converted to text. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Or like the first iPods okay. was like the circular navigation. Really cool. Oh yeah. What a wild way to navigate a device. Yeah. Those were great. Those were good were devices. Great. I think about that with my phone. I have like the giant phone, mm-hmm. but I used to carry around a phone and an iPod, which was arguably yeah. more in my pocket, right? Like Totally. Like six inches of tech in my pocket. <laughs> a phone, an iPod, a what next a... generation internet browser. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Roosevelt quote? No, is that the Steve Jobs presentation? It was very nice of you to give me a sincere answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a deal you used to jack off to this video. <laughs> Don't get mad that you answered my question. <laughs> uh, I still think 
on the topic of Steve Jobs videos that people idolize too much, the iPod Nano one where he takes it out of that little pocket on his jeans. You guys haven't seen this one? Mm-hmm. I, I must have seen it at some point, but I'll have to rewatch it. Yeah, I probably showed it to you when we were... <laughs> <laughs> and you probably thought it was so cool. <laughs> Dude, wow, he put it in his pocket. Check <laughs> it out! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll send you guys a link. But basically, he has you have the small pocket in your jeans. He like takes the Nano out of that. And uh, it was super cool. Because the one before that was the Mini, and the Nano was like a quarter of the size, right? Like It was tiny. Yeah, it was tiny. It actually does kind of blow my mind how well Apple transitioned from the iPod era. Like, if you think about it, that device, like, made them. Yeah. It, it, the modern Apple, like, the modern version yeah. of Apple was the iPod. And then it's just like, that device doesn't exist anymore. And they are probably 20 times bigger, if not more than 20 times bigger than they were at that that time. Yeah. Like, from I said, that's a crazy point. There's yeah. no iPod anymore. Like you can't yeah. buy one, can you? Can you buy an iPod Touch? Like a new one? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, there's no iPod thing. Like they so elegantly moved on from like their flagship. Yeah. They probably sell more AirPods. That is actually also like a huge testament to Steve Jobs because it's like so easy for a company to be like, oh, we don't want to do that because it cannibalizes our existing thing like the famous story is just kodak had the patent for the digital camera yeah like they invented they invented the digital camera and they just sat on it for so long because they were like this is going to destroy our business model which is like exactly because like apple could have been like oh why would we want to do an iphone with an ipod and a phone because like why would anyone buy ipods it's capitalism, baby. Yeah, but it's just like it, it. It's hard for a company actually to make that decision oh. without like a CEO just being like, "No, we're gonna do this." Yeah, like that would never happen by committee. Like a committee would never make that decision because whoever's in charge of like the iPod sales would have been like, "No, mm. that's gonna mess up my iPod sales, my so we're not doing that." Right. Yep. yep. I uh, I'm looking yep. at the like the Vision Pro. Look at the Vision Pro landing page on Apple. Looks kind of sick, guys. I think people are going to use this a lot. <laughs> I think it's going to have. I think they're actually going to make it happen. When is it coming out? It says early next year. Ooh, I've. I really want to go try it. Yeah. Do they have demo units anywhere or no? No. This does look sick. I'm on the landing page right now. <laughs> like, I mean the the thing that's actually most impressive about this to me because I've like. I've tried every VR device so far. Like I had the Vive, I had the first Oculus, second Oculus. Like it says it's got higher depth than 4K. Yeah. Hmm. While being that close to your face. Like that is insane. Because if you like, like you can watch Netflix on the Vision or on the the Quest 2, but it's like really grainy. You know, it's really low fidelity. It's like 480p or something. So if they can actually do 4K, like that's insane. Also, you know what's sick is this 3D camera. It says you can capture yeah. moments in 3D and then watch oh, them, in 3D, like yeah. immerse yourself in 3D. The uh, the little footer they have that accompanies that part of the site always makes me a little sad. It's like a dad with his kids, but he's wearing the headset and like, oh, yeah. like dude, take off the headset, <laughs> and hang out with kids. your kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's something like it has his eyes them. showing through it with the eyesight thing. Well, there's kind of a sad idea there too, where it's like, 
it's kind of like that Black Mirror episode where the guy just like ends up spending his whole life rewatching his old memories, right? Like mm-hmm. you you can imagine uh, like parents whose kids have left the house or like grandparents or something, or I just sort of like watching these videos over and over and over again in their VR headsets. Like, yeah, uh, it's kind of bleak. I guess better than watching VR porn all day, but still, like, I do worry about how much time we're going to spend in these things. You know what is also going to be kind of crazy is like. You guys ever look back or like see like a picture of something from like an original iPhone? And you're just like, yeah. wow, that thing looked so bad and so janky in comparison. But I remember when I first tried out a friend's iPhone being like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I have a feeling for, for the Apple Vision Pro, we might feel the same about this version of totally. it. Totally. Which makes me wonder like, what, like, I can't even imagine what it could be like 10 years from now. If I told you Ray Bans. Yeah. But the Facebook one looks pretty sick. Uh, oh, the actual Facebook, thing? Yeah, the, the new the new one they're launching that has the AI built in. Have you seen this? I saw they announced it, but since the, I don't have anything to log in with, I, I don't look at it. <laughs> no, Zuckerberg did a demo video, and it's like you've got them on, and you can like look at things and ask about them, but you can also just ask the AI any questions. So it's like having ChatGPT, Chat GPT, like cool. kind of always on, always available. Um, it's pretty neat. Do I have to log in with Facebook? No, No, it says 23 million pixels. It's a lot of pixels. Oh, no, no. The video's on YouTube. I meant to the glasses. Oh, oh. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Have you... (laughs) It's been a rough day for us. Have you guys... uh, Have you guys read Einstein's Dreams? No. I don't think so. What Maybe this could be our next book. So Einstein's Dreams is, I think it's like 31 or 33 chapters, each of which are like five to seven pages. And Dude, each one... I think we read this book. Hold on. I haven't read this Did book. we do it as an episode? I don't know if we've done it as an episode, but I think I've, I think I've okay. read this. And each chapter is a brief... It's like a brief sketch of a world where the physics of time is different from ours. So for example, uh, one of them, time emanates from like a fixed point and it's called the center of time. And as you get closer to it, then time slows down. So lovers, parents with young children, anybody who wants to preserve a moment goes closer to the center of time. But because time is relative, then you know, the rest of time continues moving on, leaves them behind. And each, uh, each story has like a very quick, like not a very explicitly stated moral, but it's sort of a, almost like a scripture text like you can take away something different from it the reason it came to mind is one of the chapters is about instead of about the physics of time it's about people who live in different times so we're Hmm. all together here but i live in my memories all the time and it's like a woman whose son is trying to reach her but she won't answer because you know something with him and she just reads his letters from like 10 years ago and lives in the past all by herself and the like the kind of the implied takeaway from that chapter is like, if you live in your memories and you live all by yourself. Uh, anyway, it's an excellent book. Some of the chapters are really heartbreaking. I've read it three times, I think. And each time, depending, I've read it like two years apart each time, I believe uh, a different chapter has stood out to me. There are times that ones I found so resonant later had no emotional impact at all and vice versa. Hmm. I don't think we have a next book chosen. So maybe I, we could. I thought we do. Do we? I we do. The Israel one. Oh. Oh. 
I don't know. I didn't think that was a bad option. But yeah, we could yeah. do this one. This is this is yeah. a good choice too. It's not a bad option. It's just it's a it's a commitment, right? It's like eight hundred pages. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. Maybe we should like do that in two or three episodes or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be a lot. Einstein's dreams is a lot shorter. I think I I've I have read this. It was many years. It was like years ago. Yeah, I have it's like, it's, like it's a good one. Pages. Yeah, and there's a lot of content because each chapter is like a different scenario. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll propose a couple of other interesting ones that I picked up recently. Oh, man, these are most of these are kind of long books too, but they've all been highly recommended. So I'm down for a long book. Yeah, I don't mind. We do like to read Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Ooh, mm. heard heard good things about that. I've not read it. It was referenced very strongly in Comfort Crisis, amongst other places. That was one of the first spots I heard about it recently. Yeah, I've encountered no book on the interplay of life and death that is more comprehensive, practical, and wise. Um, this sounds sound pretty interesting, just like keeping with like a lot of our Eastern religion spirituality books, I think we really enjoyed. Yeah, that it's regarded as the most complete and authoritative presentations of the Tibetan Buddhist teachings ever written. So that'll be an interesting one. Surfaces and Essences. This is a Hofstadter book. Hmm. So we, we never did another Hofstadter book after we never did. Uh, but this is all about analogy. Analogy is the fuel and fire of thinking. Analogy is the core of all thinking. So kind of like, did, did I just read metaphors we live by or did we all do that? I think that might have just me. been you. Okay. That's another good one too. Yeah. We're constantly faced with the swirling and intermingling multitude of ill-defined situations. Our brain's job is to try to make sense of this unpredictable swarming chaos of stimuli. How does it do so? The ceaseless hail of input triggers analogies galore, helping us to pinpoint the essence of what is going on. Yeah. Analogy making is the meat and potatoes, the heart and soul, the fuel and fire, the gist and the crux, the lifeblood of all the wellsprings of thought. That one could be interesting. Wow. That's a lot of pages about analogies. Yeah, right. Well, it's <laughs> a big book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like tiny print. Hmm. It's kind of printed like GEV. It's actually the same font. I really yeah. want to know what this font is because this is nice. Uh, <laughs> but it is, yeah, I mean, it's 500 large pages or 450 large pages. Eh, 500 large pages. And the other one was Novacine, the coming age of hyperintelligence. And this is from the guy who came up with the guy hypothesis. But an aston- astounding new theory about the future of life on Earth. He argues that the Anthropocene, the age in which humans acquired planetary scale technologies, is coming to an end. A new age, the Novocene, has already begun. In the Novocene, new beings will emerge from existing artificial intelligence systems. They will think 10,000 times faster than we do, and they will regard us as we now regard plants. These hyperintelligent <laughs> beings will be as dependent on the health of the planet as we are. They will need the planetary cooling system of Gaia to defend them from the increasing heat of the sun as much as we do. And Gaia depends on organic life. We will be partners in this project. Perhaps, Lovelock speculates, the Novocene could even be the beginning of a process that will finally lead to intelligence suffusing the entire cosmos. <laughs> that seems Sounds pretty like, interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah right? Sounds like Homo Deus. Is that, that looks short. This is short. It's 130 pages. A decently <laughs> large print. You want to do I love, like two minutes ago we were like yeah we're down for like big books and now we're like well, we, have to balance them. we have to balance them. <laughs> well now i'm thinking if we're also going to do the israel one in a few like episodes then mm-hmm. we have like nat and i in the early days yeah. would do like one big book while simultaneously yeah. doing a few shorter ones, ones. Um, like we did like two or three essays in a row while we were reading infinite jest 
Yeah. And then Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged yeah. also is a long TV. one. Although Atlas Shrugged, I feel like, goes faster than... Eclipse, because it's Infinite fiction. Just, Infinite Just is like, you got to fight through it. Well, yeah, I mean, because you got to, like, stop. It's a great book. You, but you can't doze book, off yeah. at all. Or, like, Atlas yeah. Shrugged, you can kind of, like... Like, uh, it's, it's a little bit... It's long, but it's not hard to read. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Infinite Jest is long and hard. <laughs> what if we did Novacine? And that was waiting for us to make a comment. Yeah, no hard. reaction at all. waiting for really it. Really <laughs> I, I didn't want to give you the satisfaction, and then a deal didn't do it either. And I was like, gotta at I least acknowledge it. this. I, I missed it. <laughs> gotta at least acknowledge this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe My mind's do, nowhere uh, near the gutter, man. I'm. <laughs> yeah, you were in a holy place, I guess. <laughs> He's, he moved to Amish country. He's actually, this is his last <laughs> podcast with us. He can't use technology anymore. <laughs> he should have said segue. water earlier. That's a good segue <laughs> to say. That's why he has a tech museum at his ranch. But, exactly. Uh, <laughs> All the devices I can no longer use. <laughs> I'm not going to let you guys in when you come. <laughs> It's not like you can stop us when you have a wooden lock. <laughs> Maybe we do Novacine on that note because of the technology component. <laughs> Is this how these guys choose what to read? <laughs> kind of, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm down for Novacine. We can do Novacine. Yeah. And then I definitely want to do the uh, Tibetan one too. That looks good. Maybe we do those two and then Israel as like the third. Like that gives us more than a month to get to that one. Cool. I actually started that one thinking it would be the next book. And I feel like I've been reading it a lot and I'm like 15% in with like a lot of reading. It's a good book though. Israel of history. Martin Gilbert, I think. Yeah. It's actually a very interesting book. Uh, It's just very long. It's come highly recommended from a lot of people to me, so I'm pretty excited to pick it up. Yeah, and it goes pretty far back. Like I don't know, it's it's it's, Mm -hmm. it it is well, and it's like it is a history book, but it is doesn't feel slow. It's just long is the only, you know, is why it is going to take a while. Okay. Um, All right, so we got our got our next book. Novacine, Tibetan. What's the book? Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Yeah. Okay. That one just looks beautiful too. Like the it book does, itself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down to do that one next and then Novacine. I'm I'm okay with whichever order. Yeah. I'm fine Either order is fine. Yeah. No Novacine came very <laughs> highly recommended from one of my like very well read friends who said it was like one of the most like mind shifting books he's read in a while. So excited wow. to do Dude, I, I I will say I definitely suffer from recency bias when I recommend books. Like I'll always say like, this is one of the best <clears throat> books I've ever read. And then I'm like, I like take a year and I'm like, wait a minute. It was a great book, but like that list is long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was funny because he and I've been having a conversation about not finding like a super great book in a while. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I feel like I've just been hitting lots and lots of duds. Mm-hmm. And then literally three days later, he was like, okay, I picked this up and just like devoured it. It was so good. So wow. it's like, okay, instant buy. I also kind of love when, like, this is clearly, it's either self-pub or, like, very cheap printing press, you know, because you can see, like, you can see the crease on the spine, like, it's not centered, the back isn't, like, it, you know, it's not a very high-quality printing job, which means 98% of the time it means it's going to be a bad book, 
but then that like one to two percent of the time it's going to be just like fucking incredible <laughs> yeah is it self-published like why is it so it's mit press uh, but they probably don't have access hmm. to like a big five publishing facility interesting or they're actually on demand yeah. which is possible too now that I'm looking at our episodes from this year, I I will say it's actually been a great year for for reading in terms of like not duds like the right stuff yeah. was incredible. Uh, River of Doubt was awesome. <laughs> what your food ate was good. Country driving turned out to be amazing. Three body problem. Three body problem. Three body problem. Was like oh. um, incredible. Even Permutation <clears throat> City was good, even though I, yeah. I still feel like I, I didn't fully understand City. it. Yeah. Uh, Where's my flying car? Was so awesome. Good. Like, that was this year? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Where's My Flying <laughs> Car was February 21st, 2023 is when the episode wow. came out. Yeah, wow. That was a great book. I feel like that I read that book five book. years ago. I've like gifted that book to like three people already. It's I mean, you like, basically lived five years of life this year, Adil. You. <laughs> it has been a busy year. You got engaged and married. <laughs> you, you got engaged, got <laughs> and married, bought a house. to the country, became Amish, <laughs> opened a museum. Became Amish. <laughs> <laughs> Started a museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, been a big year. You went to Maine. <laughs> oh yeah, I did the River of Doubt. That's true. You yeah, the you River of Doubt journey. Yeah. <laughs> Almost died. Survived, thankfully. Good <laughs> <laughs> so <good>. year. It's <laughs> a good year. Okay. All right. So we're, we're going going Nova Scene. We're going yeah, Nova Scene. Just to call it. Yep. Yeah. Well. Check out into the Amazon, guys. Uh, yeah, I, okay, I, I was very skeptical if this book was going to be good yeah. when we decided on it because it's like, hey, you know, not many reviews, right? Like, you haven't heard the author before, or whatever. It's a very fun biography. Like, yeah, there are great stories in it. Yeah, it was good. Leave a review on Amazon. For yeah, we should all go. Cur- I'm actually Amazon. curious how many <laughs> it'll get. We have seen made you think mentioned on Amazon reviews before. What was it? Sovereign individual. Sovereign individual. Yep. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we were early to that book, Nat. That was Yeah, that was, that was awesome. That was cool. <laughs> that book is such like canon now, and it's like to be was fair, it the, the time? It was pretty not, obscure. Not the way it is today. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think the crypto boom That's like made cool. it more uh like made it a lot yeah. more mainstream. To be yeah, fair, yeah. we did not discover this book. This book was like nineteen like ninety seven or something is when the book came out. So Right. But it was I mean, yeah. we heard about it from um Taylor Pearson, because he was so yeah. early on the Bitcoin yeah. stuff, so he was recommending that book. And yeah, like you said, now it's canon. Yeah. yeah. Now it's like pretty mainstream. So I did actually listen to that episode in 2021. I went back and listened to it to just like see what we said. Yeah. And we actually were, it was not like, I mean, I I, I stand by everything in that episode. No, I think it was like pretty prescient. Like we were talking about remote work a lot at that point. Cool. Like saying like that is like we were pretty we spent like a good chunk of the episode on like remote remote work and like the downstream implications. And I think actually a lot of it came true. Like we were talking about like low tax states being like going to be like going to see a boom. I mean, you were pretty big on Austin even at that time. So nice. you, you were you were pushing Austin heavy in that episode already. Oh, man. And <laughs> now awesome. now we're now we're like now we even thought about like, OK, is it time to leave yeah. Austin. <laughs> <laughs> it's too mainstream for Nat now. <laughs> too expensive, man. Everyone fucking I know. lives here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. 
You got to keep the next city a secret. I know. Yeah. I'm not going to say where we're going. Next. Recording from undisclosed location. Undisclosed location. Yeah. At the old electronics museum. Like <laughs> 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 a Starlink in. <laughs> There's one downside of the rural lifestyle, though, is that the Wi-Fi situation. Like my Wi-Fi is really fast. I was say, it looks, but it's fine. very. This episode has been good. It's it's super fast, but it's very expensive. Oh, there are very few okay. options. There's very little competition. So I was actually debating using Starlink, even though it's like a third of the speed. It was actually cheaper. <laughs> Wait, Starlink is a third of the speed of your Wi-Fi that you have. Yeah, but it was cheaper, which like Starlink is pretty expensive. It's nearly $100 yeah. a month. In yeah. the city, I was paying like 50 something for Verizon. How much are you paying out there? More. <laughs> He's, he doesn't want to disclose. <laughs> it's, it's about 100 a month. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not terrible, but it is double what it was yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think we pay mm-hmm. 70 for a gig up and down. Okay, I got to go pick something up for preschool. All right. All right. Let's do it. See you, work team. See you guys soon. See you guys next time.